price could be the same or someone else could be a little cheaper and it's where how are you going to take care of that customer and how are you going to make it really easy for them to get going how are you going to be an accessible expert along the way how are you going to put customer relationships at the focal point because all of these people right and all of us we work with customers on a daily basis we value customer relationships and so we value those same dynamics in the vendors we work with as well in this episode we're speaking with kenneth burke VP of Marketing at Text Request, a business text messaging software company based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Kenneth shared how his team grew the company from scratch without any VC funding and how their focus on customer experience drives their inbound marketing strategy. Enjoy. I work for Text Request. I'm the VP of Marketing here. We are a business text messaging software company. I think we've all gotten a text message from a business or a political candidate at this point. And so what we provide is a, a software for teams to be able to manage those conversations and updates professionally as a team, but secure and compliance and it integrates with all your other tech stack and things like that. And it gives you the bells and whistles so that you can build lists and campaigns so that you can schedule messages so that you can actually have one-on-one -on -one conversations at scale. And if you think uh, a lot of people are familiar with email marketing software and tools around that. And so we created a lot of the same stuff, but for text messaging, because for us, we saw, or particularly for our founders, we saw that people today, these days want to text rather than call or email. Yeah. Um, and so if you're a business, you need to be able to, to text right along with them. And they needed solutions to be able to do it effectively. Yeah. That's us. Awesome. I know coming from email marketing over the years, like since the 1990s, open rates have just plummeted. It used to, used to get open rates of 80%. And now you're lucky if you get 2%. So what's the response rate and the open rate, click-through rate typically for the text as a channel? Yeah. So it, generally speaking, it's a 98 or 99% open rate. It's uh, your message is going to be read within about three minutes or 95% of them are, are read within three minutes of being sent. Average response times around 90 seconds on average. And then the average, if you said average engagement rate, a lot of people will tell you just the average open rate or someone's reading it or they read it before they even open it on your your lock screen. For engagement rates, or I'm thinking particularly for not just did they read it, but did they click on something? Did they reply? And it depends on the campaign and your intent. But those rates are typically in the between 35% and 60%. I've seen as high as 70% actually. So Cool. So in terms of your actual product, the software, I see that you guys have a dashboard where you can have this bird's eye view, this overview of how everything is working. Tell me about what the actual software is doing. Yeah, so it's, think about team management. That's the first thing that stands out, right? So it's, you need to be, have a text be able to have a text conversation you need to be able to have more than one pe person in your office pay attention to those conversations. Or if you're particularly if you're thinking customer service or inbound sales, you know, there's a lot coming in. And so you need more than one person on that 
or maybe someone walks away for lunch or it's after hours and someone else needs to pick up the conversation where the last person left off. So it's yeah, team friendly. There's type of head features and things like that. So you can see who's responded to who and, and whatnot, but then it gives you organization for everything, right? So you can, you can filter contacts and you can end messages and message templates and scheduled and by campaigns that are going out versus individual conversations. And so it makes everything, it makes all these text conversations that so many businesses are having with so many more uh, consumers. It makes it all manageable, easy to handle, and just really a lot easier than whatever you're doing beforehand. Cause you don't have to, to do as much to get a conversation going Yeah, because so many people respond to messages. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. How do you think businesses can start to think in terms of leveraging text as a channel? It is a new beast. What kind of best practices are there? How do you make sure that it takes a lot of like the opt-in process on the consumer end is they're giving you their phone number. And so there's a barrier. I would imagine there's a barrier to giving someone your phone number, even if it's a robot. And then the opt-out is probably easier than email. Whereas you used to have to go and email, you got to scroll to the bottom, try to find the tiny text of unsubscribe, and then you open the link and try to find the button, that kind of stuff. But a text, you just say, stop, and then you're out. So how can companies start to think about how they engage uh, the consumer directly through this channel? Yeah, so th there's a lot of pieces there, and you even touched on uh, one a little bit earlier that email used to be have sky high engagement rates, and they've dwindled off since then. And, and there's one thing that marketers and salespeople and advertisers um, will do for any channel after long enough is they will saturate the heck out of it so that it's tougher and tougher for whatever comes through to resonate because there, there ends up being so much garbage. That's why. No one pays attention to direct mail because half of it's scam or political advertisements. The average person gets 88 emails a day. That's a ton by itself, even if they are valuable. And so the thing to pay attention to on, on text messaging, and really I would advise this for any channel you're communicating through, LinkedIn, messages, Twitter, whatever, is if you're going to say something, have a purpose for it. Don't just, these channels shouldn't be for spray and pray marketing. They should be either targeted or for someone you have a connection with beforehand or use as a tool to build a connection. And so a couple of things here. One, we've seen preferences over time that customers do just want to text with businesses, right? And sometimes they want to call, sometimes they want to email, sometimes they want to live chat. Text is one of those channels they want to engage with you through. And so we see typically 90% of people, give or take, want to text with businesses for sales service questions, promotions, things like that. Particularly when they lead it, when the customer texts in first or takes an action to uh, then get a text in response, they love it. Engagement is high. Retention is high. For opt-in contacts, which all contacts should be opt-in, just make that apparent. For opt-in contacts, the lifetime opt-out rate is less than 5% through text requests. So you're talking about it's a lot easier to opt out through text. You're right. It is. All you have to do is say stop. You don't have to wade through the email to find that little tiny link at the bottom and then pray that it works because phones programmatically or the networks <laughs> programmatically take yeah. care of things. It's crazy. Yeah, they they um, do it on purpose. They're sneaky on purpose. Yeah. Well, and it, it defeats the point, right? If you want engagement, you need to create a good customer experience. You need to give people a reason to engage with you. And then over time, you need to actually offer value. And so in today's world, I say in today's world, the cliche, it's overdone, but it's been growing and growing that consumers want 
mobile first engagement or on the go engagement. They want digital first engagement, right? Like you, no one likes going to the DMV for instance, because you feel like you should be able to take care of that online and you don't have right. a good experience there in person. Right. It's the same concept, right? If you want yeah. to, if you have a quick question for a business, you shouldn't have to call wait through a phone tree, wait on mm-hmm. hold, et cetera. You just want to know what your bank balance is or something. So those concepts apply and get back to your question. How do you actually keep the engagement there? It's, and then it's making sure what you are sharing is valuable and making sure that you set those expectations up front that if you text us for this, or if you purchase a product to get on this list, here's exactly what you're going to be getting in return. We're not going to veer away from that. We're not going to, we're not going to get you. No, not going to sneak up on you. Yeah. That's really cool. So what has, and how long have you worked there? Just over six years. So the company was founded in November, 2014. I started in the January just after that. Oh, right on. So you've really been with them since the beginning. That's I have. Awesome. It's been a crazy, fun, wild <laughs> startup ride. Yeah. Are you guys, I don't know if this is too much digging, but are you guys funded? I love this question. We yeah. are not funded. So we not are, fun- we were self-funded to start, you know, our, we haven't taken any outside investment and then we decided to bootstrap. We were a tech startup, so we looked for funding at one point and then eventually said, no, we don't want to do that. I have really enjoyed the customer funded route. We can move a lot more quickly this way. We can, feels like we can serve customers better actually, because we aren't having to play politics. Um, wonderful. And we are having to grow at our co- all costs, right? Yeah. So if you take VC money, which is an okay yeah. thing to do, but yeah. it, it comes with a different set of expectations where you have to do certain things, grow at a certain rate, certain clip. Otherwise you're considered a failure by the VC standards because you don't bring a high enough return. And that's, if you know that game going into it, that's fine. But we just kind of wanted to do our own thing and grow at our own rate and make sure yeah. we're sustainable and profitable and can be a place that people love to work. Yeah, that's. I feel like that model makes a lot of sense just because there seems to be this vicious cycle of, okay, we got one series, you get series A and then you're on cloud nine and then you end up kind of, you know, the runway is just a runway to the next round. And so then you're not necessarily planning the business based on what's best for the customer, what's best for the business. It's like, how are we going to get to round two? So I Which feel like that makes sense. Because they shouldn't be competing either, right? What is best for the customer should end up being best for the business. And if you're doing things, I say, if you're doing things, if you make all the puzzle pieces fit together, then you can leverage that round to then serve the customer better and more quickly which then gives you more motivation to get that next round. It becomes a virtuous cycle, which you see these these unicorns, that's exactly what they're doing. But there's so many too who take funding and it doesn't matter almost the round or the size of round they take. There's so many who would have been better off not taking it. Right. If you're going to make, because there's so many decisions, there's so many decision points throughout the years and it's really sort of like, who's your master? And Mm -hmm why are you making the decisions? What is your focus? So I think it's wonderful you guys are doing that. That's, I love hearing any company is going that route. It's really cool. Since you've been there since the beginning, what has the process been like? Like what segments of the market have you guys focused on? Does your product tend to attract more small businesses or mid-sized enterprise? Like what, where on the spectrum do you guys find the most product market fit? Yes, yeah, small Smaller businesses were our first product market fit. And I, I say first because I think like all good software, you continually grow, you evolve, you add more 
features and solutions. And so you're able to help more people in better ways. And typically if you're following the lines, you're able to help more people who have more money to spend in better ways. So you can move up market. But when we started, when we launched, we were a customer service tool for hospitality companies. We thought if I'm a guest at a hotel or I'm trying to book a reservation at a restaurant, I would much rather text the front desk or hostess, concierge, what have you, than to call or wait on hold or fiddle with a, an online scheduling tool for something. Let me just text, you know, hey, bring a toothbrush up to room 303. Oh, that's um, good. So, and, and we had a handful of those, but we, what we found is it's obvious in hindsight, but people don't spend, want to spend for customer service. They want to spend to increase, to directly increase revenue. So they want to spend on sales and marketing tools. And it makes sense. There's a lot of the reason you can go around with, you should pay attention to customer experiences and operation costs and things like that. But that's what we found. And so we try to test at a handful of markets because it's text messaging. Everyone texts. You text for a million reasons every day. So why couldn't any business text or organization? And so we went through colleges and universities, which was a great fit, but their sales cycle was six to eight months. And for a bootstrap startup, that's yeah, just it's not, not reasonable. That's not going to work. No, not at all. <laughs> and so we kept searching around and where we really found our first fit was with our first, what I would say product market fit was with home service companies. So cleaning services, moving companies, handyman, that type was a great fit for a few reasons. One, because they were smaller, most of these were local that we were talking to and they might have one to five people in office and then five to 20 um, technicians out in the field. So they, they were small organizations, which meant that we were talking to either an owner or to a, an office administrator who basically runs the show. So we were able to talk to the right person very quickly because we were able to talk to the right person and there were so few layers to go through, they could make decisions very quickly. So we had a lot of people who were buying day of or who were buying within two weeks, which was great. We also had a very small, very low entry price point. And so for people like this, and we didn't have contract, we still don't have contracts. So you could get in for 25 or 50 bucks, give it a shot for a month or two. If it didn't, yeah. if you didn't like it, get yeah. out. Most people yeah. did like it. And the use yeah. case there, which I thought, thought was great. I'm biased, but I thought was great was that they, they had so many leads coming in from all their other marketing efforts, which was great. But most of those leads would come in after hours outside of eight to five, whenever right. you have time to think about, or you realize right. your AC is broken. Or, yeah. Or the pipe bursts or whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it would be things like that, but then they wouldn't follow up with them until eight thirty the next morning, mm -hmm. at which point the, that prospect is at their own job. They can't take a personal call. Yeah. They don't pay attention to email, but they found they could text them and it worked really well. So we started there. Then over time we worked with a multi-location orgs like that whole franchise unit or whole franchise systems, and then have spread to different markets from then from there. And just also as we've added more, you know, features and solutions, we've been able to sort of particularly a, a nice API, we've been able to go up market as well. That's great. Yeah. And it's, so it's a sweet spot, this convergence of a pain point that you could solve pretty immediately and easy access to the decision maker. And there's almost no barrier to entry, at least the, to getting started. That's sort of like the sweet spot. Yeah, that was the idea. If there's the people are going to purchase because they feel a real problem, because it is much easier to solve that problem than to keep dealing with it. 
So I, for example, in contrast, there's a, there are a lot of, of software solutions out there that are fantastic at solving problems. They do great things. They do a lot of technical things. They're very helpful, but they're just a grind to try to use. Mm. You know, I mean, it takes, it might take you a few months to get trained or you have to right. go through formal onboarding yeah. or it's not discoverable inside of it. Yeah. So anyway. Yes. So you, that is a nightmare scenario where, you know, even if, even if a company does adopt the software, will they use it? So that's, that's always a huge part of the equation. So what was your experience then once you have that initial traction, what has been your experience going to larger companies? It's, it's been different. It's been a little easier at times, but also different. I would say this is a blanket generalization, but generally Larger companies have leadership who is more tech savvy. They're more in the day-to-day reporting and minutiae of operations and things like that. And typically just to compete along the career ladder, you have to be able to do more, do better, go faster. And so larger companies typically have people who are more capable of making things happen. And so whenever you do get to talk to them, there's in our experience, there's been less education. A lot of times it's been more brainstorming on how do we do this as opposed to here's why this can make sense for companies to do. That's cool. So I like that part. To me, that is easy. It's an easier conversation, but then you also have to be a lot more patient because you add in layers, you add in different departments and hierarchy. And so what is, it could be a one a 30 minute conversation and one or two questions you handle through text or email later before a purchase for a, a really small business or one location business could turn into a, a four to six month sell cycle with a, a mid market to an enterprise customer. Yeah. And that's okay. You just have to make sure that you're creating enough of those opportunities that your funnel is full so that you know, over time you've got enough that are still converting that you're okay with that time lapse. Yeah. Where do you guys find that you meet, I'm assuming you guys are able to identify who is the decision maker within that account. And then you can get buy-in from them. They're like, this sounds great. I love the idea. Let's do it. What takes four to six months? What is happening in that time? There's a lot of things. Not always four to six months at a larger yeah. org is typically the longer it's going to take. And it yeah. depends on industry too. So if you're in finance, you have to go through far more scrutiny than if you are in travel. So finance has a lot more complaint or healthcare would be similar. You have to do things like security testing and you have to prove that you meet all their compliance standards. And so you, you talk, you often talk with a, someone in business development and then a product manager or an IT staff member. And then you talk with a CFO type and then it goes to the lawyers. And then the lawyers take a while and they have all their questions and then you go back and forth. And so there's one client uh, I could think of offhand that who just came on, um, very glad to have them, but it was, I think for two months they said, you know, we're ready to sign up. What's the next step. And for a a software as a service, the next step is usually just go to the purchase page. Visa, Visa or MasterCard. Exactly. That's the next step. (laughs) So, so there's a lot of, there's just a lot of extra steps. And in particularly if we're some of our mid-market enterprise customers or other software companies as well. And so it's not just implementing 
uh, a new tool internally, it's building out a solution around it. And so if you have to build something or you have to bake it into proprietary software, that's just going to take time. Yeah. So you just have to know that up front and be ready to handle those conversations. Right on. In your case, it's almost maybe it's less a sales process of four to six months. You could get the decision maker on board pretty early and then you just kind of wait for the lawyers and the ratifiers to ratify and then kind of answer questions along the process. Yeah. And you can't, and it's not one, it's not always that you hit the right person at the right time and they say, yes, I'm, I'm sold. Let's, let's make it happen. And then you just step back. So you still have to sell. You still have to prove your worth. You still have to say why us over other options or why this type of solution over another category. Right. Yeah. And um, so do you guys ever run into a situation where you may have someone at the CFO level who could say, guys, this program looks great and everything, but there's a solution that's 20 bucks cheaper right over here. Do you get unique pushback from those different perspectives? Yeah, you do. So it's, it's eventually, I'm going to try not to generalize too much, but someone in business development, their role is more, how can we make more money off of this? Or how can I leverage this conversation, this partnership, this new product to better hit quota or to delight customers more? Someone in a, a project, product management or IT role might think about that, but often they're trying to, they're concerned with how does it fit into our existing situation or existing technology or existing processes. And then a lot of times the pushback in conversations from people is not even, it's not even about objections. It's not even saying, I don't like this, or this is why we shouldn't do it, but it's them expressing this is new and it's challenging for us to fit in. And I think a lot of people Instead, I think a lot of people take the those challenges as objections and saying, okay, our product doesn't do what it's supposed to, or we need to be able to do X, Y, and Z in order to serve these customers. And I think it's more on the soft skills, the person personal skills to be able to consult with them and say, hey, here's how we can help you. Here's a case study with someone else who went through something similar. It brings some content marketing into it. I understand that we can brainstorm ideas to make it really easy for you different things like that. And then whenever it comes, if, if you're losing somebody on price alone, you're not doing a good job the other 90% of the way, excuse me, yeah. to get there. Yeah. And so, but that comes up, especially on the small business side, you know, people say, I can use so-and-so three websites over and um, <laughs> it's going to be a so little, <laughs> and it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Um, <laughs> but then you have to be really good to say, here's why there's a disparity in price, right? Like we're, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it, it really is as simple as, they're charging you less because they're providing less for you. Sometimes it's a little sneakier as they're saying you get the same thing, but it's actually a lie once you pull back the covers. Yeah. Sometimes you always hate those conversations. And then sometimes it's just like, hey, we, it, price could be the same or someone else could be a little cheaper. And it's where, how are you going to take care of that customer? How are you going to make it really easy for them to get going? How are you going to be an accessible expert along the way? How are you going to put customer relationships at the focal point? Because all of these people, right? And all of us, we work with customers on a daily basis. We value customer relationships. And so we value those same dynamics in the vendors we work with as well. Yeah. So, so really it's this transition between, so the contract design, well, in your case, you don't have contracts even for like an enterprise client. We, we do for enterprise clients or for some, on some larger companies, they just want a contract. It's part of the, right. the due diligence. They have right. uh, an agreement there. And then there are some, like if someone's going to use our API, 
and build a solution on top of it or build it into their software there's often a license agreement or like a white label agreement cool some people call it that'll go into that but typically if you're a small business customer or really if you're anyone you can come in you can sign up without talking to any of us and you can get the whole thing so there's the threshold of there's a contract once you cross that threshold you're no longer in the sales process you're in the customer experience process in some ways you can actually give them a clear picture of the value on the back end of the contract so they see okay this is what life is going to be like after we sign absolutely and i would argue yeah and i would argue on that line that there's less of a distinction typically between the the sales side like they're a prospect and the side of they're a customer I think if you're doing things well, it should be a pretty easy transition and it almost shouldn't feel like a transition. It should just feel like this is just a part of the process. We were talking about wanting to do X, Y, and Z. They showed us exactly how to do X, Y, and Z. We were basically using the system before we purchased. Now we're purchasing. We can actually go in and use it whenever we want to, to build our what have you. And there'll be a different, someone else is going to handle our, our questions instead of the sales rep. Now, for the longest time, we focused on different industries instead of different um company sizes we focused on industry specific so it would be okay hey we're working with travel companies we're working with home services we're working with professional services like financial advisors and accountants and so everything we did would be tailored to those specific use cases regardless of their size that gets the tough to scale from a, an inbound marketing perspective which is what we focused on most of our sales come actually 90 plus percent of our sales come from inbound, which I'm very proud of. It's a great place to be, but we made the, started making the transition from industry specific to yeah, company type. And I think that alone, I think is pretty, can be tricky for a lot of people. It's what a lot, you see it a lot. People start in a niche and then they say, okay, we worked really well for this niche. What is one other that we can apply to, or we can, we're relevant to what is maybe one more. And they start to spread out from there. And we started wide and then are trying to, you know, hone it in a little bit more. Yeah, But it's been really interesting because we have worked with so many different types of businesses and so many different industries. There's a hundred or more that we've worked with industries. You get a really good sense of commonalities. And it's very interesting. Like in the podcast, I do conversations I have, we bring in different partners or customers or just people we're interested in. And the advice someone in healthcare gives is equally applicable to someone in logistics. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. And, and so it, it has been helpful to see all of these different, get a high level view of everything and then to be able to amalgamate it. Is that the right word? To bring it all together <laughs> so that you can say, okay, if you are a, a sm- if you're a one location business, here's the playbook to successfully communicating and engaging customers through text, whether you want that entirely outbound and impersonal or automated, or whether you want that entirely conversational whatever. Okay, cool. We've got there. And then because of how we worked with different industries, different sizes, we basically take that and we say, okay, you're trying to accomplish the same things, but if you're working a little bit larger, it's typically a different persona, the different role, who's managing it, some different character traits, different daily problems and challenges they have internally that they're trying to work through. Okay. So we're just going to reframe how you can use the same products and solutions for that. And then go in enterprise or for us in enterprise is effectively someone who wants to use text requests for their, or get text requests for their customers to use. So think about another large software company. Cool. And then it's reframing. Okay. So we're not, we're no longer talking about the enterprise's problems really anymore. We're talking about 
the small businesses that they serve those right. problems again. And then we're just, we're effectively repackaging it in a way that yeah. they communicate. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you're grounded in principles and those principles can be reframed and applied across industry verticals. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Is there any crossover from the investment that you've made in inbound marketing or any of your marketing efforts? Are you seeing that pay off in the sales process? So are you able to, once you guys get to the sale, are they referencing the marketing materials? Do the, are they an informed buyer based on what you guys are producing? The short answer is yes, but there's a lot of details mixed in. So one, if someone is coming to us, they're an inbound, or the main inbound is a Google search basically. And it's a Google search with buying intent. Okay. So they're saying this is, they're searching for business text messaging or I don't know, SMS service provider, something like that. And so we show up, sometimes we showed up and paid ad. The goal is to show up for all of those organically in the top three. They come in, they already have in their heads what they want. And so the website then, or the main public facing portion of the website, the product side is showing, well, okay, well, here's how you do the things you want to do. Here's us showing that, yes, you can trust us for this. And for the price point, yeah, we work with other people like you who have a similar budget size. So, so some of it is just setting the expectations there. And then for that particular type of customer or that particular journey, then the content comes on the backside. So we use a lot of content, blog content, other types of content, podcasts, videos, et cetera, content marketing so that we rank well organically, but then our highest converting page is still our main homepage or a product page or a, an industry landing page, something like that, that people come to that because we spent so much time on content throughout the rest of our site, our whole website ranks higher, higher domain authority, et cetera. Um, so people come in and then on the, whenever they talk to a sales rep and they say, Hey, I have a question about this sales rep says, Oh yeah, we've got three resources on that. Let me send it to you. Cool. Or someone gets into to the customer success side after they purchase and they said, Hey, can you show me a guide on this? And so, oh, yeah, we've got that. Also, here's an interview with who did something similar. You can hear it from them, not us. Right on. So there's a, yeah, for that piece, particularly organic search. That's where it plays. That's, that's great. So you guys are able to repurpose the content that you're using for link building back into sales enablement. Mm -hmm. and, cool. and that was really the goal to start with. I think there's a dozen different ways to approach content effectively. But what we started with was ask, what we started with was answering the questions our customers were asking. So if someone, we heard a question 10 times from a customer, either in the, the sales process or after they became a customer, we'd create a guide on it. And sometimes we would under, we would realize that people were asking questions ab about us in a way that showed they didn't understand what we really offered. Yeah. Which meant we needed to change course. I remember earlier on, we showed up a lot for messaging app, which you think sounds relevant, but messaging app, the, the intent around that is let me find right. something so I can text with my friends back. They wanted, they wanted a WhatsApp or some exactly. other like messaging platform for peers. Mm-hmm. And so you, you get a question, people call in or chat in or something, and they'll ask, you know, how, oh, here's a common one. How do I send a group message? Now for us, a group message means sending one message to many and then replies come back directly to you. So it's like a campaign, but you, you get traffic from students trying to text each other. And, and yeah. so anyway, so our approach was answer our customers' questions, but then we had to be 
good at discerning what is a good question or what tells us that we're going in the right direction. It's not just, like, oh, they said this, so let's create something for it. Cool. That's great, man. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about text request and maybe get in touch with you. If you want to learn more about us or you want to contact me, you can go to textrequest.com. There's a lot of great stuff on the website. You can book a demo to talk to someone one-on-one. If you go to one of our blog posts on like how to write text messages or how to, I don't know, schedule text messages, something like that, you can get a gated demo as well. Um, so you don't have to talk to anyone, but it's just shorter. And then if you want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to anyone. Just connect with me on Twitter. It's at Kenneth Burke 423 and my DMs are open. So I'm here for you. Sweet, man. Thank you so much for uh, having this conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Jay, for having me. You just listened to a 30 minute episode of the moving up market podcast. If you've made it this far, please leave us a message. Let us know how we're doing. And by we, I mean me as in Joe, go to the moving up market podcast on Apple podcasts and leave a comment. We're trying to get some early feedback on this podcast. I do. If you want, if you want to give me like a scathing review, please just send me a LinkedIn message I believe my LinkedIn URL is just linkedin.com slash Joseph Hader, but just search Joe Hader on LinkedIn and I'm one of the first ones in the yellow headshot. Ultimately, I'm trying to get four interviews a week and I think that's a little bit too ambitious of a goal. So right now I'm at one per week, roughly one a week, and then I'm editing the next week. So we'll see how quickly I can uh, increase production. For anyone who's actually listening the whole way through, I hope they're getting value out of these and be sure to mash the subscribe button so that you get notified. You already know that though. So thank you for listening and you'll hear from me soon. Peace.